Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with uh, Sandra Keogh from the Willowbrook Basket Farm in, I want to say, central New York. You're about an hour or so maybe from Hawk Circle, which is in like Cherry Valley, close to Cooperstown. And Sandra, I've seen your baskets for, man, at least three or four years now. Your Instagram is fantastic. I remember just putting it out. Hey, I'd love to have you come in. Like it's taken us a long time to get you to come to Hawk Circle and do a program. And and we did this year. And you're just someone that I really love and respect and appreciate everything you're doing. And so I just want to say thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And yeah, we're technically right. We're neighbors. I feel like if you're an hour under, we're neighbors. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It might be less than that. It might be less than an hour, even, especially when you live up in like upstate New York and it's rural. Yeah. An hour is pretty close relatively. What I'm interested in learning is that there's a lot about your story about what you do and how you got to doing it and where, how your journey is wound around. And I'm sure it it wasn't just a straight line right out of high school or something, but so I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what, tell everybody what you do. So I guess I would call myself a basket maker and willow basket maker and basketry teacher, because I do now teach both like a weekly based basketry class at an art school in a town that I'm in. And then I teach weekend like workshop. I call them workshop experiences because you get to dive a little deeper in and maybe sometimes harvest or collect the things that we use in classes. And I still, I do work a full-time job as well. I am a customer service analyst for a company called IEEE. They're one of the biggest publication companies for like scientific and technological documents and conferences. My basketry work is my happy place where I get to be more creative and I get to connect more with nature and my normal job, you just get through it. (laughs) It's a means to an end, right? We all, sometimes we all have to do other things than what we want to do, but I'm currently I'm trying to build my farm in upstate New York as a means to be able to teach more and do more work within basketry itself. So I started the farm because I need the materials. And yeah, that's the fun part is being able to grow and harvest your own materials in basketry. So that's where I'm at right now. But it did. It took quite a a while to get there. That's really amazing because... As a wilderness survival guy, I always just thought willow was willow. So I would make willow baskets and I would look at somebody's basket, like one of yours. I'd see a picture on Instagram. I'd see somebody working it, twining it, moving around and everything. And I would just go, my willow doesn't do that. I remember when I was a kid seeing like a picture where they were in health class and they were like, this is a spider web. And then they're like, this is a spider web on PCP. And it's just like three lines and A, who's given those spiders these drugs and B, 
that's how my basket looks compared to yours. And I just remember going, man, I must be doing something wrong. And here you are saying we grow willow. So you, there's a, there are species of willow that are really good for baskets, right? Yeah. So we, yeah, this is varieties that I would call them cultivated varieties, right? We, we do have wild varieties uh, and a lot of us do collect them. I, actually found a wild variety on a road in upstate New York. I brought it home with me and yeah. now I'm going to try and cultivate it. But we've, we use specific cultivated varieties um, that have been used all over the world for centuries, right? They've found their way into different places. There's a bunch of stories that are really lovely about how we got some basketry willows here in the U S either by a basket maker who would weave a basket fresh and bring it here, get it through customs and unweave it and plant it. Yep. Or I've heard stories about how in women's petticoats, they would sew rods because your no petticoat way. would stay wet, right? Yeah. You're walking around on the roads, your bottom of your skirt would be wet and no one was picking up your skirt to look underneath it. So there you go. <laughs> makes there sense. You go. That's yeah. What, you, but do what, you do what you have to do. Yeah. So we've got basketry willows here in the U.S., through different means. And there aren't very many basket willow growers in the U.S., but there's a handful of them. And it is, it's very hard to find classes, but I was lucky enough to learn like very traditional, either English basketry, or I've actually learned a lot from Danish makers who have come over here to learn or to teach. And that, that was the big part of my my education throughout this whole thing has just been very traditional makers who have come over from Europe and, and Denmark. Wow, that's cool. So they came over here and they're teaching they were teaching classes and you went to them. And yeah. They were they would show you something over a few days or whatever. And yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. What were that what My- was it like? Were they like older people like doing have been doing it for a long time? Was that or yeah, was it a most, mix? most have been doing it probably, I would say 20 plus years, one or two, some people just, they have a knack for it yeah. and start teaching right away. A lot of them would grow their own willow. Some of them would purchase it in Europe. Willow is very easy to get a hold of because there's commercial growers that you can buy it from. But here in the U.S., we don't. So it was a likely progression that I would need to grow my own. And it was kind of a good thing I did because two, I used to travel up to Canada actually for some of these classes. And that's where I would get a lot of my willow and Lakeshore Willows, really the, the woman that ran Lakeshore Willows, her name was Lena. She was my biggest inspiration because traveling to meet and work with her She had all of her willow growing where she was living and teaching and she created such a beautiful community and you had such a great feeling working in her classroom and it was wonderful to see the willow growing and I would go sometimes up there for bark harvesting weekends right so we would go and we would cut and we would harvest the bark and then she would bring us into uh, her classroom and show us how to weave a bark basket. So seeing that model 
and having that inspiration of someone who was doing this thing that just was so beautiful to me was like, oh, hey, I like, I want to do that. That That's what I'm striving for is to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah, that, that's really cool because that, I remember when I was a kid, I used to do a lot of like yard work for people. And one of my big jobs was there was this one older man and woman that had a little house and they would say, oh, come on out, work for me. I'd be like 14 years old. And they would, what, she would give me like these clippers and she'd say, we have these, we, we have five weeping willows along the trip. And I had to go in and trim all of those. And I remember taking them and I'm like, what do you want me to do with all the willow? And they were like, oh yeah, just throw it on the edge of the, throw it on the edge of the lawn or whatever in a big pile. And I remember taking it going, I should be able to do something with this. These are really beautiful and they're long and they're real even. And so I remember, I think I played around with it a little bit, but I didn't know what I was doing. But I've always been fascinated with things that are bendy and also long and smooth and all the different colors and everything. And it was, it's just, it's an amazing plant and it has such a nice smell to it. And yeah, it's one of my favorite things yeah. to see. I think if you're a, a nature kid, right? Like my boyfriend, mm -hmm. he called it, he's you're a nature kid. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. like you always go outside, right? Like when you're outside, you're either like, I can always remember just trying to peel the skin off or pull leaves off or twine sticks or vines and things. Like I think just that tactile experimentation as a kid, I can always remember that. So it just, it felt when I started learning willow basketry, it just felt right. I said like yeah. this felt normal and weaving for me, even as a kid, like I did camps too, as a child. And I always was drawn to the little weaving projects that we did friendship bracelets and things like that. Right, so right. when I got into basketry, I was like, Oh, this is the thing I've been, I've been doing this is what I enjoyed as a kid. So it makes sense that I enjoy this now that it, it's always been thing working with my hands that just, it felt like the right thing. No, that's really true. And it's so interesting because sometimes there's things that we do as kids that are, oh, what do I say? I remember being at like a camp or whatever, and we had like popsicle sticks that we glued. And then we had to glue these like macaroni stuff on it. And then we'd spray paint it to make a frame. And I remember just looking at it going like, no one's going to use this as a frame. This does not look good. Like it's this gross gold spray paint. I was just like, what are you guys doing? And I just had this feeling like you're just trying to have us fill time. It's mm -hmm. not really a nice thing. And so I know when I started my summer camp, I was like, I am never doing that. I am going <laughs> to make sure that they are going to learn something that's really fun and valuable and that will at least get them on something that will be really something they can feel good about, right? That they, that yeah. has either a use or just looks really aesthetically pleasing. And I tried to do that in my camps, but man, it, it is tricky because when children come in, they usually don't have the manual dexterity to be able to like tuck these little branches in. And I didn't really ever use like tools. You have like willow, there's like little things you use, right? Like an awl. Or, yeah. Yeah. I never had, we have specific <laughs> tools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are certain types. I teach all different types of basketry and some require like really specific tools and some don't. And actually it's the classes that don't require as many tools. I actually enjoy more yeah. and where you can incorporate more wild stuff that you've collected and just, or that give people a little bit more 
access to it because a lot of the tools that we need are very traditional and hard to find. You have to know someone who makes them. I think there's one guy right now in the U.S. And so we all oh, pass yeah. around his name. But yeah, it's to me in the beginning, it was it's hard to get into willow basketry just because it's it's a little bit harder than the others because of the material and the tools. But and then a lot of people have just never done anything like that before. And that's one of the things that I enjoy most when it comes to teaching is just being able to introduce people that maybe didn't get to go to camp as a kid or just weren't very outdoorsy. And this is the first time they're like, they're touching a real stick and yeah. you're saying, oh, you got to take this real stick and do this thing and you'll get a product. And they they yeah. they don't believe you at first. <laughs> that's right. That's right. What's so interesting is that we do like a forest family retreat once in a while. And when the families come, we'll we'll do a variety of different crafts. But one of the things that we often do is just do some wood carving and we do like coal burning spoons over the campfire and messing around with those, that kind of stuff. And it's amazing how either a mom or a dad, like they will get into that and they will work the entire weekend. And they'll literally say... When can we work on our spoons? When can we work on our spoons? Are we going to work on our spoons again? And I'm I'm always just, huh. They, to me, spoon making, it's like, all right, I've done a thousand of them. So no big, it's not an exciting thing. But that feeling of I am going to make something and the feeling of satisfaction of working with their hands, they really sink into it. And they really just go to town and sand it and oil it. It's, it's really cool. And I would imagine that's probably a little bit like what some of the people who come to your classes do. They just, they're just happy, like working on this little basket and seeing it come together. And yeah. Yeah. And That's working cool. together. Yes. So much of what I do and what really draws me to this type of work is building that sense of community and doing yeah. crafts together. Right. I don't feel like there's enough of that. And I feel like people are, hungry for that they want to build community with people yeah. that they have similarity with and they want to use their hands to me i use the whole like the quilting circle kind of idea yeah usually i'll set my classes up in a circle so everyone can face one another and they can hold conversations because basketry whereas if even if you've never done it before you should get into some sort of like a rhythm eventually. Yep. And that rhythm allows you to either go into yourself and the meditation. But I find a lot of people go into it and they let their hands work, but then their mind and is free sure. to converse and enjoy everyone. And it it is to me, it's community building. And that's what I love about teaching basketry and how it connects people to the natural world that they Sometimes a lot of people have forgotten or lost or just didn't have enough connection with, yeah. and it opens, it opens new pathways up for them. Well, it's so interesting that you're saying that because I have been just thinking about that a lot with the idea of a lot of times when we do, when you're, when we are like forest educate, we're teaching people about nature, about getting them involved and all that. It's really apparent that for a lot of people coming in, they don't have that quilting circle. They don't have a, what is it? What do they call it? A sewing bee or sewing, yeah, you know, whatever these different things where knittings, people get together and knit. That doesn't seem to be a thing anywhere near what it was back when I was a kid. 
And so then people go, oh, everyone's really lonely. And I, I can see that. And it just seems like what we're doing is there's that you, there's the layer of the basket, but then there's this whole thing of working with your hands and relaxing. And then this community piece that you're really providing something that is really feeding people far more than just saying, hey, here's this thing you can make. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a healing part to basketry, I feel. It's... It's very primal and it's very traditional. All of our ancestors had to make baskets for a reason, but we don't Uh need to make them anymore. We have plenty of containers that we can find. Ikea or whatever. Yeah. You're like, okay. Yeah. So for me, it's more of, it's that connection to nature. It's that connection to yourself, maybe your heritage or your history, and it's it, to me, it's a healing thing, right? It came to me in my life when I was going through difficult times. I just was making the decision whether or not to end my marriage. And it yeah. that was the direction it was going in. And at, that's when basketry sprung up in my life. And like I said, I visited these schools up in Canada and I met all these lovely women who really supported me. And just being able to talk to them and work with them, that was healing for me. And that really got me into all of this. And I find that a lot of times students that I have in my class, they're missing something and they come in and they find it or they're, they heal something in those classes. And it's, who knows what it is. Maybe it's just talking to other people who have shared similar experiences and maybe the handwork is secondary. It's something, it's really something special. And it's, you can tell people really enjoy it. And then when you can show them that this is something that they can do, you can go and find wild, maybe not the best stuff. Like you said, you can still work. There's plenty of natural materials to make baskets with. And it's a lot of fun. It's, I always say to t- people, experiment. You, who knows? It's, yeah. Yeah. You got to just try. That's what everybody, we, that's what we've been doing for generation upon generation is trying things. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. What's so, what's interesting. I remember being in a class, teaching a class or something about, I don't know, we might've been doing like folded bark baskets, which I would do mm-hmm. like a half day class and just go, Hey, or here's peel the bark, fold it. Boom. And it, my stuff was like super crude. So it was more like here, you can put a plant in, in it and hang it on your deck or something and throw it out at the end of the year, put it in the compost if it get, get all nasty. But these, what was interesting was that I remember this one young woman was there and she made had made this beautiful little basket and she was like, oh, can I take any of this other basket? I'm like, take all of it. That's fine with me. And, and then she looked at me and she said... I did, this is the only handmade thing I have in my whole, in my apartment and in my life. Like she goes, everything else is like from the store, clothing, everything. She's, I do have a couple necklaces that are handmade by jewelry, but she goes, I don't have anything of substance in my life. And she goes, this is really, I really had a good time. And I didn't yeah. really know what to say at that moment. Cause I'm just like, oh, okay, neat. I'm like, I don't, I'm, my brain is like a hundred miles away thinking of all the stuff. I got to mow the lawn and do my chores or whatever. Yeah, really, that's that when she said that it really stuck with me. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Um, Yeah, maybe not if for the forest educators listening to this, they're oftentimes, you're all so handy. 
And they're like, oh, I'll make a buckskin jacket or, oh, I, my tire blew out. I'll just weave one out of a uh, birch bark or something. Everyone's so handy. But a lot of people on the outside of this field, it's it can be hard. It's hard to find someone. It's hard. Like, you have to look. And I know your basket classes fill up really fast, too. So I can imagine yeah. that now's the time to find those <laughs> schedules and get in there. Because if you start looking around in February, you're like, oh. Yeah. And we will have two at Hawk Circle. So those will be awesome. Yeah, that's it's I I enjoyed so much your school and your space. It was really lovely that the class we ran last year. So and being able to come in June, which is the time of year where you strip bark. That was lovely because normally I wouldn't be able to do that because most of the places I teach at, I have to travel to. So right, just being right. able to cut a bunch of willow on, I use wild willow for the bark, but just throw that in the car and drive down the road and, yes. and teach at your place was great. I know. And, and it was so dry in May, like May and into the beginning of June. Yeah. And it was like, I was like, uh oh, I don't know when the bark's going to peel if it's so dry like this. And then we had a bunch of rain for a few days and that seemed to make everything come out great. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing I was going to ask you is like, what's it like going to the different places you go? I know you go to some like wilderness schools, the Roots School up in Northern Vermont. And no, tell me a little bit about some of those places. Do they, is there a lot of variation of people coming to different things? Yeah, it definitely depends. And I really, I'm at the point now where I only teach at the places I really like mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. since it's not my primary job and it's sure. usually weekends for me, I'm highly selective about where I like to teach. So Roots is one of the best ones and they are doing such great things up there. Their programming is, it, it all sounds like so much fun. I want to go build my own bow with Brad, right? One of the, I keep saying one of these days I'm going to get in that class, but they, I find that's also uh, a wonderful place where people who are looking to just be experimental, right? They want to work with nature. They want to learn primitive and ancient skills. They're usually highly motivated and a lot of them have hand skills already. So that's, it's like easy teaching there, right? Right, right. And then some of the other places I teach at are more craft-based or folk schools, right? I go down to the uh, John C. Campbell Folk School. I've taught at Snow Farm and Peters Valley. And one of my favorites now is Sanborn Mills Farm in New Hampshire. They're like an up-and-coming craft school in the Northeast, they're really wonderful because they are growing their own willow there at the school. Oh, wow. And so I can take my class and we can go for a little walk the first day and say, look, this is what willow looks like. Because like you were saying before, you were with the weeping willow. Everyone thinks weeping willow is the thing you make a willow yeah. basket with. That's no. actually the wrong thing. Yeah, <laughs> so it's horrible. Just, it's horrible. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> for baskets. It's yeah. good for certain things probably, but... Yeah, no, <laughs> I, yeah. I did try it. And I remember going, what was I thinking? And then I always thought it was me. That's one of the things yeah. I, when I start making something that I'm not that good at. I always think I'm screwing it up. I This tree gave up this, these branches for me and I'm mangling it. And I, I feel like I'm insulting nature. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> or something. <laughs> and then to find out that, oh, that's just not a good 
product to use. You're like, yeah. Ooh. So they, yeah, they get to see what it looks like right, and, right. and just right how it grows. Cause it grows more like a bush. It's not oh. a tree. I once had someone look at me really funny. I said, I have 9,000 willow plants on my farm in New York and just the look of bewilderment. And he's, he says, how do you manage all those trees? I said, tree, you think I'm growing 9,000 trees? I yeah, said, they're yeah. little bushes. It's a little different, but right. It, right. yeah, exactly. The, some of the best willow that I found is always on the edge of my driveway. I've got a, like a section of my driveway yeah. and, I, and I go in there and I cut it because if I don't cut it, then I can't really plow the snow that has no place to go because it gets all caught up in the bushes. And so I cut it down and then the, from the stump, it sprouts up. And then like a year later, two years later, it's like this beautiful, all even stock, yep. or whatever. And then we get them and I use them for tongs and I don't know, lots of different crafts, but it's, it's amazing how it grows. What do they call that? Is it coppicing? Is that the right way? Coppicing. Yeah. Coppice. So yeah. what you're doing and what a lot of people have actually witnessed in nature is like the beavers will come right. and cut down the willow. So I guess that's probably where a lot of people came up with the idea or just saw that willow grows better when it's young and fresh. And yeah, so we do what's called coppicing where we cut it down to the ground once a year and it grows for a year. And then we cut it down again. So what we're right. using is just one year's growth. So it's nice and thin and doesn't have a lot of branches. We're looking for stuff that doesn't have any. But yeah, so a lot of times the best willow to find, everyone always asks like, where can I grow it? Or can I find it growing wild? And it's always best in the ditches, right? Where right. there's a little bit of wet and then maybe your town comes along and cuts all the weeds yeah. down in the ditches. And then it, they're coppicing essentially. And you can find it that way. Yeah. So that that's a great way to go and explore and find wild willow. And maybe some of it will work really well and maybe some of it won't. But that's sure. the fun is locating it, identifying it. And then seeing if you can make a basket out of it. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. It's weird because it used to be that they would go in there and cut and it would be cut down evenly. And now they have these like machines that are just like these blades mm. that come in and they just shred it. And I just, I, after they machine goes by, probably everybody listening is probably re can relate to this because it's just, they'll just lift up and cut the edge of a tree and it just shreds mm. it. And the whole tree just looks like this angry yeah. And I'm like, oh gosh. And I know why it's who wants to walk with clippers in a ditch for miles and miles cutting it. So it's probably just not even possible to do that. But man, it's a whole different, it's a whole different feeling when you cut, like when you see like a beaver chewed willow that has these beautiful teeth marks and it's at this cool angle and it's like mm. a beautiful thing in a way. And then at the base of it, all these willows come up. It's like a, it's really a, a special thing to see that. And you yeah, know, check that out. I, I was interested in too thinking as is there something that if you do for like color? I know a lot of times we have some willows that when I peel it, the bark is like bright yellow. I peel it, and then other times it's light green, or some of them are almost orange or whatever. And I'm colorblind, so who knows? The color could be totally different. <laughs> and yeah. Wouldn't even know. <laughs> so yeah. Well, you might be like, what is he talking about? And I'm like, oh. no, you're right. I've seen the yellow and the green, and it is really just the variety. So yeah. there's willow that's great for basketry, is traditionally the Salix purpurea. 
which essentially is just purple willow. But purpurea just means purple. But purpureas are not native to the U.S., so they were brought over here. But so most growers like myself, we have several different varieties. We can get reds, yellows, orange, green, oh, nice. purples. Yeah. I even have a variety that's like a very matte black. And oh, it's wow. it's really stark compared to the others. But that that's part of the fun as a willow grower is just all these different varieties. And we all kind of switch and or some of us will find a wild, something wild, right? We actually, in New York, here in central New York, there's a grower in the Utica region mm-hmm. where she's been growing willow for about 30 years and collecting wild stuff on different roads. So she's labeled them based on the roads. And wow. so now I have a couple of different New York wild willows right that Uh we're trying out for baskets so it's fun that way it's you feel like a little bit of a collector that's always when you the more you get into a any kind of a craft right there's just this idea like i know thinking about brad and talking about bow making so many people i know when they start making bows they're like oh i made one out of sassafras and then they're like i made a hickory bow and i made an ash bow and then i made twenty thousand, whatever you or I don't know, Osage, Orange, all these different bow woods. And you just want to explore all of them if you're that person yeah. that to make. And yeah. I always say That's it's a cool. rabbit hole and you just, you basketry is one of those rabbit holes you fall into. And then there's even, there's or doors. It's just, you open one door and then you find there's 20 more. And yeah. there's bark, there's willow, there's folded bark bass. It just, it's oh. unending. Yeah, coiling yeah. is another technique a lot of times. And a lot of people do coiling as a kid in camp and don't realize it. Right. And then that's one of the most ancient forms of basketry there is. So it's it's such a part of our history that it's we're st- and we're still holding on to it. And that that's for me, it's also feels holding on to those traditions and passing them along is such an important part of this because these skills that we had as human beings and developed as human beings, right? It feels important to hold on to them and pass them along so yeah. they don't get lost, right? In our modern world. Yeah. No, that's a hundred percent true. I agree a hundred percent. I've done like timber framing and I love timber framing. And that was an art form that was in danger of being lost like 20 years ago. And then Jack Sobin and a, a few num- other people who brought it back and really have championed it. And now it's flourishing. It's I know totally what you're saying. And it's so good to see you doing that kind of work, like helping people connect and keeping that craft alive. And then at the same time, also getting excited about it. So yeah. do you still see, do you ever like you're scrolling through Instagram and all of a sudden it shows you a, somebody out there who's making a unique basket you've never seen before? <laughs> what is that? Do you ever- like, Oh, yeah. Um, scrutinize it you're like enhancing the picture making it magnified so you can see okay how did they get that done there I do that all yeah the time. absolutely yeah Instagram is one of my biggest inspiration that's why yeah I'm on it and I stay on it like a lot of us get a little like Instagram burnt out but for me <laughs> it's <laughs> I like the connections I've yeah. I love the the people I've met through and we sure. technically met through Instagram but I think we have mutual friends yeah mutual friends that too. I, yeah. I think I've talked or I've told them they've told me about you and 
that's how but yeah it took us a while to connect but but yeah i even i see baskets right in someone's house and i'm always like can i like look at that like i have to take it and pull it apart and just take pictures and like how did they do this how did they do that and yeah it's fun it's definitely i i geek out on it my my kids call me a a basket nerd or a basket geek (laughs) It's true. It's true. I remember when I was like first learning a lot of wilderness skills and I was probably like 22, 23, 24. And I remember going home to California for something. And I was in Northern California. Some, I think I was in like, shoot, what's the name of that? Healdsburg, I think it's like a little town in Northern California, like up along the coast. And I went into a museum there and it was here's the area like the town museum but they had a huge section of it was like native american crafts and life and there were uh, there was a display of these feather baskets that were i don't know if they call that coil baskets maybe but they had yeah. feathers in there that were woven in some of them had flicker feathers there was like incredible colors there was breast feathers of quail i don't know what it was but i remember looking at that and just and my just draw dropped and I thought yeah. oh the heck and then there was the small ones there are these little ones that are like the size of a, I don't know like a tangerine or whatever or smaller that are just incredible work and yeah I was in awe of those native women that made those just yeah amazing. what I find so interesting about that mm-hmm. is because basketry right now it's looked at as a craft And then sometimes it can be looked at as art, but there's that argument. Is it craft? Is it art? Is it both? And to me, it's, it totally is both and always has been both because back then baskets were important for life, but so many of our ancestors and, and native peoples, they, they made beautiful baskets. So there was that art that was a part of their life and it was important. So yeah, yeah, those little feather baskets are absolutely amazing. And I like the amount of fine detail that goes into that is just astonishing. Our ancestors were resourceful and had baskets as function, but Mm -hmm. they were functionally and beautiful. So they were, it's both, it's a craft, but it's also an art and it's just, it was, it's an important piece of our humanity yeah no that's true it's similar to in a way like like i know the if you go into the southwest and you see the people the navajo uh, weavers and they're weaving these rugs or blankets and they're using these patterns that are like from their traditional clan and region and then they have certain plants that they have that they're that they've created dyes and they have sheep that they raised that have a certain color and it's just so amazing to see some of the things they make and when you think of that of the culture if you go back 700 years or a thousand years they didn't have a culture where you're like oh i can it, it wasn't disposable so it wasn't something where you went oh i'm gonna make this really nice uh pack basket and then i'm that's ah, the end of the season i'm gonna chuck it you could repair that and keep that basket for 20 years and you're constantly making, but everything in your environment is made by someone probably mm-hmm. or yourself. Yeah. And there was a pride in making it something that was also beautiful or special. And 
I don't know. I, I feel like that's in a way what I think of when I think of people like you who are championing this in a way, maybe maybe not in a direct way, but in, in an indirect way, you're really holding that and saying, hey, how do we make something with our hands from nature and make it beautiful and then have that beauty in our lives so that we're not yeah. just getting a bunch of cheap stuff from China or whatever, not, not to pick yeah. on China, but a lot of it is just this disposable stuff that we can yeah. get rid of. Yeah, I think that's, I came to this I would say mm -hmm. from that discovery of really from food, right? Because I was mm -hmm. very obsessed with knowing where my food came from. That's right. when I got chickens. And then you start looking at making your own laundry detergents and like all these. It was like this natural progression of just, oh, how did we used to do things? And right. how do we do more of those things that we don't do anymore? And yeah. like that. To me, that it was just one of those things. And then I learned that you could make a basket from things you could gather or things you could grow yourself. Mm -hmm. And again, it made that connection for me, like the chickens did, where it's like, oh, you can have this animal and you can raise it and feed it and then eat the eggs. And I just remember because I grew up in a very, I call it the super suburbs where it's nobody there's no farms where we grew up really we would vacation to a farm right <laughs> and people would be like you eat the eggs and i'm just like why is this an odd concept <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like you would eat eggs from chicken like right. you eat them too you they're just, just not packaged you can just walk yeah. into the coop and grab an egg isn't there something else we should do do i have to be certified like, you're just like no. yeah like are you allowed people are like you're yeah. allowed like almost like you're allowed to do that yeah, yeah so yeah, totally. it, it, i guess maybe it was an act of rebellion on my part where I was just like, yeah, now I'm going to just go gather a bunch of sticks and make a basket. <laughs> yeah, no, but, totally. It is a radical, it is a radical act in a way. Like it's not like for, again, people that are forest educators who are real handy, they, it's a common thing. So they're like, oh yeah, I made this clothing or I made things, but to the outside world, it's just, it is a big leap. And I remember making a pack basket and I made it really, I took my time and made this like incredible amount. Like it was like, I felt like it was like perfect. And I gave it to somebody, but my friend was just like, every time I, I have that pack basket, people say, where did you buy that? Because I made it so perfect that they just think, oh, it must've been bought by something. Did you get it? The ones in China or something and, or from Vietnam or wherever it's from. And then I have one that I use with my school groups and kids and, and it's just beat up. I just took like, after a class, I took everybody's scraps and then I just wove this thing. It's rough. It is really rough. And they're all just, I love your basket. It's so cool. It's so handmade. And I just go, yeah, but that's how they see it as if it, if it's handmade, but too perfect. They don't believe it. They they want like mm -hmm. chop marks in it, or they want it to be a little bit more rough. They could really say, oh yeah, that is for sure something that was handmade and done. So yeah, you know, there's a fine line. There's a fine line. <laughs> I started to learn, oh, okay, if I'm going to give this away to someone, I might make it a little bit funky. So just to make sure people know <laughs> this is like not handmade or not store-bought or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I'm curious too, is there a, is there like a, it seems like what you're saying is that there's a little bit of a network of people who do basket work, like educators like you, teachers, 
And yeah. so you probably have a, I don't know if there's like a little community where you kind of contact each other and go, Hey, who's anybody need anything? Or is that is yeah, there that's like that? Or is it informal or? It's informal at this point. I think there used to be a group work in between generations right now. It mm-hmm. feels in a sense, right? Because there was a couple of the people that we've learned from are now in that retirement zone and they're looking to us to bring this or carry it along and bring it into these this new generation. So we definitely, at least I feel, we, we're seeing more interest in basketry and basketry classes just because people, I feel like, especially with the pandemic, they it was that whole like, where's my food come from? And where like, how yeah. do I take care of myself? How do I make things again? Because yeah. who knows what could happen in the future? So there's definitely a lot of interest in it. So there, there is a small network of us and we all pretty much know one another. Like when someone who doesn't know the world comes in and that they always, they're like listening to us talk, they're like, oh, wow. <laughs> like they, yeah. they yep. get blown away because we, we know pretty much everyone in, unless they're just in a little town somewhere making baskets and not on social media anywhere. Right. But we're trying to build a better network and more resources for people. Like I just current recently put like a resources page on my website just so people mm-hmm. can see that there are other growers. Here's a couple books that are really good if you want to get right. into this because so many times we get people who say, I want to make baskets or like they see it as this beautiful thing because it, it it is, it's a lot of work, but it is this wonderful craft that is, it's fun and it's cool. Yeah. If you, you're just showing off your back backpack to other people and they're like, you made that? That's, right. It's a sense of pride to be able to say you've made something. Mm-hmm. It's because most people don't. Yeah. So we we do have quite a few here in the northeast i'd say like in in the us in general this is probably like the hot spot for at least willow basketry right there's myself yeah. and there's a couple other growers and teachers and weavers within like new york massachusetts still in canada but they're really close to us so right. we we consider them part of it as well But yeah, we're trying to put together more opportunities for, we would call it a gathering and maybe Hawk Circle at some point. We have some ideas of maybe like a basketry retreat or gathering because you guys have such a great space. So we're trying to do more of that because there is the interest. And like I said before, I really like the community building. To Mm -hmm. me, I find that pretty much every other basket person I've met has just been lovely. Like people always say, oh, you found your people. And I feel found my people in the primitive skills and basketry world. So it's been great for me. That's awesome to see that because I know that like the herbal community, a lot of times there's a lot of women and some men who have uh, herbal knowledge and they would do gatherings and they would get like a bunch of the different uh, herbalists together and then offer classes. And just have this like wonderful kind of community building for that. And and then you see it with people that do uh, fiber wool yeah. and they are like knitting and grow, raising sheep and then getting the wool, doing all that kind of stuff. And there's this whole community wrapped around that. 
but then some places, some things there, there isn't maybe the popularity or, or enough people doing it to really warrant those kinds of gatherings yet. But, but to me, it makes it exciting to see. Yeah. I would totally be into hosting something where we could have a weekend and get five or six basket makers and just say, come on in and get your mind blown and make yeah. a bunch of fun things. So yeah, totally. I know this has been awesome just to be able to share all this stuff with you and, you know, dive into this world that you're in. And I know also, you know, that for me, knowing that, knowing what we know about like crafts and the effects they have on people or whatever, do you feel, I guess this is the question I was going to ask, do you feel like that at some point you will, you would be able to financially just go full tilt? Or do you think that it's a good mix right now for you to keep it going the way it is. Yeah, I would love to. And that's my goal is to just grow Willow and teach classes. But I just started it, yeah. believe it or not. So I, my farm, we purchased in 2020 and mm-hmm. I wasn't able to start growing that year. So I started in growing in 2021 And it takes about three years to get Willow really established and well-growing. And it it took me three years to get those 9,000 plants planted. So within the next couple of years, I'm hoping that this will be a full-time adventure for me. (laughs) And yeah, and we're going to build a yurt, hopefully with your help, right? A little uh, next year. So that's, that will also allow us. Yeah, yeah, to have a, a bit of a gathering spot and hopefully be able to run some courses from our farm at nice. Willowbrook. Yeah, so it's because it is, it's definitely, it's, I don't think it's anything that's going to abate. I think there's mm-hmm. always going to be this growing interest of people who are looking to build community and build skills and and make baskets and because it's a cool thing now right like, yeah, yeah, at least totally. in some in, in some circles it's cool to be a basket maker some That's people nice. still don't get it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it's funny isn't it it's just, okay like tattoos used to be when i was a kid people got tattoos were either in the merchant marines in the military or they were like in a motorcycle gang. Like you would just go yeah. like, okay. And, and if you saw somebody with tattoos, you're like, my life may be in danger, right? That's <laughs> what you'd see. And now, of course, it's like everybody, it's like a free-for-all, which is awesome. And yeah. but, it's, but it's interesting as you're, when you're older, but you look at different things that kind of come in that are cool or that people are doing. And it definitely does seem like that's what you're all doing and representing and looking at that whole lineage and keeping it going. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Last question. Uh, okay. Clippers. When you use like clippers, right? Like yeah. you prefer the, like the bypass shears or the anvil clippers? You so know how I think anvils, I, you know how they have a flat, like a base and then it comes in and just chops it. And then oh, okay. the bypass ones where they are like more like scissors where you, the blade actually slices past yeah. that the holding part so we use the bypass pruners really right yeah Yeah. specifically i like felcos Uh, and most people are that way but yeah willow's pretty tough so i think the bypass pruners are a much better choice 
Okay. When good. it comes yeah. to that. Yeah. And so a lot of times people in classes will bring ones that maybe they've used in their garden for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like dull like, and everything rusty. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes I can fix them. I have a little like sharpening kit with me yeah. sometimes, but otherwise I would say, buy just buy a new pair. <laughs> yeah. They're not like... that expensive now. I always use the anvil ones because when I have them, I usually have them with kids and kids will just like ah. smash on them. And I always found that the bypass ones would like bend or get a little bit twisted and it didn't hold up with kids. But most yeah. of the time they were cutting, like the kids wouldn't even know if they were, they're like, oh, cutting green. And then they would get like a dead thing and they would just slam into it and then take a big chunk out of it. So I always went yeah. that route, but when it comes to actually using those it's it seems like you'll probably get a closer cut too so yeah yeah this is awesome uh tell us i know that i'll have all of your info uh your instagram your website whatever on in the show notes for this but uh i just thought you know do you want to share your website for your farm and everything and your classes yeah um, so i my website is just www uh, Willowbrook Basket Farm, all one word, uh -huh. dot com. And nice. then I am on Instagram as Sandra Keo5, because I guess back when I started Instagram, I had no idea what to call it. So I guess I'm the fifth Sandra Keo. Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah. And then I do have Willowbrook Basket Farm also on Instagram, but that's, I really keep that just for business. So if, People want to buy cuttings or eventually right. I will sell dried willow for basketry as well. So that's the business end of things. But yeah, yeah. both mo most of my classes you can find on my website. That's what people yeah. are always, where are you teaching, when? And yeah, yeah we'll get some hawk circle ones up there soon. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's always interesting to me, like I had a willow, an Instagram account, and then I started the podcast. And so I've been like posting a lot with the podcast having two Instagram accounts is like a nightmare because I'm <laughs> yeah. always like people are messaging me on one and then they're messaging me on the other. And I'm like, I'm missing messages. And it's, it, I don't know um, if, if you're anybody that's listening and you have two of them or three of them, man, it's an, it is a nightmare a little bit because yeah, like social, just staying <laughs> current with social media is hard enough, but then to have to post it twice or twice. Oh, it's such a pain. Yeah, it's almost a full-time job. We need to hire somebody just for that. <laughs> it's true, right? It's true. Thank you uh, so much for sharing all this. This has been really wonderful. And yeah. I really appreciate your time and also all the work you're doing. It's amazing. And, Thank and you, saw, yeah. And I saw the photos of you and the videos of you and your boys like planting the willow in like 2020. And just, I remember just seeing it going, that is a lot of stuff. Like they, those kids are working hard. They're going to earn whatever you're going to give them at the end of it. They're going to really, yeah. but they were pretty first, good helpers. They were good. Yeah. At first I don't, I wasn't paying them anything. And now I, I started and now yeah. they know that, Oh, do you need help? And That's right. That's how right. much are we going to get? Yeah. What's happening? yeah. I know. I know. I was like thinking, okay, you probably can't pay them in baskets or anything. You're like, at this no. point, you're like, no. Okay. That's how it is. Well, yeah. But All thank right. you so much for having me on. I've been listening to your podcast and it was interesting when I listened to the first couple episodes when you were talking about how what is a forest educator right. and just the umbrella that is and how so many of us fall underneath it. 
And I was like, I, I guess I am. I am a forest That's educator right. in a way, right? What, so, me? <laughs> yeah, me. I would never have thought to call myself that, but that's it, it is. It's I, I, we fall under that umbrella because yeah. we're connecting people to nature through craft. Yeah, it's like it's a human development thing hidden in a craft or a nature or a wilderness. Like to me, it's about becoming more human, healing, growing. You know, that to me is all like you, you nailed it. You're like, okay, there's the basket part and then there's the doing and the skills and then there's the community and then there's the healing and then there's that connection. It's it's a full ingredient recipe, it seems. You, you can't just take one out. If you take any one thing out, it doesn't quite feel the same way. So yep. yeah, it's, it's the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes people will say to me, oh, you have this program. Oh, it's a retreat. And they go, how come it's so expensive? Oh, I don't want to pay. If you think of it and you go, oh, I'm taking this retreat for two days. You don't want to pay like $1,200 or four days or something. You don't want to pay like $1,200 for a pack basket, but you're mm -hmm. not paying for that. You're actually paying for all the instruction. The You're paying for all those other things. And that's the thing that yeah. some people really get it. And some people go, oh no, it's transactional. It's oh, right. I could just get a basket for... 300 bucks from somebody and right from from what is it there's it used to be a, a store called basketville i think in vermont i don't know if it's still there i haven't seen it i don't know i'd have you to look that, that up oh it no. was like it was called basketville and they had a section that was all handmade baskets with ash splints and and they were really expensive and then they had all the stuff from china and it was like <laughs> super cheap and then they had of course napkins and silverware and like lots of other like knickknacks and stuff for the home it was yeah. a cool store to check out but i haven't seen it, it, it they had a couple different stores yeah. but i just i don't know yeah it's but the, yeah the experience and the fun you have making your own is mm -hmm. definitely i always tell people it's worth it yeah. and it's yeah it's the experience and the people you meet, this whole thing for me has just been the lovely people like you that I've yeah. met along the way. And just now we have you timber framing what will be our home one day. So that, yeah. that's awesome. I'm so excited. I'm make excited. connections, use your hands and get outside. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for again, for being on this. This has been really great. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.